Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about prayerfully the Holy Spirit power. Number four. Finally. And Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 will be our opening text. And it says, But you shall receive power when? After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, in Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. Have you noticed that we're living in the last of the last days? Have you noticed that evil and its activity is increasing among us in many, many forms? In the form of sin, sickness, disease, deception. And the list goes on and on. Bitterness, unforgiveness, not understanding one's identity. I mean, the list goes on and on. Immorality. All kinds of things are happening as the darkness is growing darker. Well, praise God, the greater one lives in us. And even though the darkness may be growing darker, I believe the light's getting lighter in the believer's life. And that we are experiencing a move of God ordained by the Spirit of God that He wants to accomplish here in the earth. So, every single day we see people dying. I did a funeral today. I'm glad to report to you our sister is in glory. Worshiping the Lord on streets of gold right now. But how many other people die daily without Christ? Many die daily. Do they know Christ? Did someone approach them and try to reach them with the gospel and its message? I do believe that everyone will have a chance. One way or another, they will have a chance to make a decision for Christ. I believe that. But I want you to notice in this verse of scripture what it says. The power of the Holy Spirit is for. For us to be effective witnesses as we live our lives here upon the earth. Witness for him. Whether it's our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, starting at home, reaching out everywhere we go, anywhere we go. We're empowered by the Spirit of Almighty God, to be a witness for Jesus. Look in Matthew's Gospel and chapter 9, and here's why. I believe that Jesus is the same today as when He walked upon the earth, don't you? Well, when He was here on earth, He went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the Gospel of the Kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out 
and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Here we have the gospel message. And Jesus is no less concerned about the welfare and well-being of people today as he was then when he walked upon the earth. And he was so concerned, not about delivering Israel from Roman tyranny, not concerned about building another building that people can worship in. He was concerned about reaching broken-hearted, hurting humanity. Everywhere he went, and when he saw the massive amounts of people out there that were in dire need of supernatural intervention, he knew he couldn't geographically be everywhere at the same time, so he anoints his followers, his apostles, his disciples, first the twelve, then seventy more, and the list goes on and on, and it grows. And what do they do? They are given power to do what? Cast out devils. Heal diseases. Wow. What a commission. Everywhere you go, wreak havoc with the kingdom of darkness. Cast out devils. Heal the sick. Set the captives free. That is the gospel message. Now look at Mark 16. And look, beginning at verse 12. We usually start with 15, but I want to see, you to see this in verse 12. After that he appeared in another form, this is after the resurrection of our Lord, unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue. Neither believed they them. Afterward he appeared to the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Boy, he wasn't too happy, was he? To upbraid means he found great fault with them because they wouldn't believe. And he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Notice when this commission was given after he upbraided them. He said, What do you think this is all about? Building buildings? Political power. It is about people that need saved. People that need healed. People that need delivered. People that need set free. Marriages that need to be restored. Children that need to come back to the kingdom of God. This is what the kingdom is all about. So he says to go and preach the gospel, the good news. And he's very blunt with what he says here. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Wow. Cut and dry. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out. Look at this. All the time. Cast out devils. First thing. Cast out devils. He says they're going to cast out devils. Speak with new tongues. Take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing it won't hurt them. Lay hands on the sick they shall recover. And so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Notice, when a person gets the true understanding of what the kingdom of God is all about and what the gospel is all about, and they recognize it's about a risen Savior who arose from the dead with resurrected power, 
And that power is transferred over to all his disciples, all his followers, all those that believe on him. For what reason? Cast out devils. If the multitudes back then when he walked on the earth were his concern, how compassionate is he today when he sees the multitudes of people worldwide like never before overcome by the forces of evil and darkness? Beloved, he wants every son or daughter of the Most High God to have the same mindset and mentality. He has given us of His Spirit, as He said in Acts 1.8, You shall receive power. They could have been sent out with a message. <laughs> they had a message to preach. But He said, don't go and do it. You wait until you are empowered from on high. You see, there's another element to this that you need to be aware of. Yes, I've been raised from the dead, and that's a powerful thing. It's a wonderful thing, and it's a great message. But for you to succeed in carrying out the purpose and the will of God in the earth, you can't do that in your own strength or your own ability, your own power, your intellect, your wisdom, your politics, and the list goes on and on. You need Holy Ghost power. You've got to go out there and proclaim the gospel message empowered by the Spirit. Because you see, it's the supernatural power, power beyond human scope, that casts out devils and heals people's bodies. And this is exactly what he called them to do. So, in Acts chapter 2, he said, If you go on my name and you proclaim the gospel, signs will follow and there will be manifestations of the Spirit. But I want you to see this in Acts chapter 2. This is after they receive Holy Ghost power. Notice what, he, what it says here. Peter preaching by the Spirit. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon only twelve apostles. I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and my handmaidens I'll pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above. Signs in the earth beneath. Blood, fire, vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness. And the moon into blood. Before that great and notable day of the Lord. And for what purpose is all this going to happen Lord? It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Notice what it's all focusing on. All these signs, all these wonders, all these demonstrations of mighty power for what purpose? For people to come to Christ. For people to get saved, delivered. Because eternity is a long, long time, is it not? And we want all of them to come into the family of God just like He does. But notice it takes Holy Ghost power to accomplish the supernatural work of God. The church is a supernatural entity. Not a political one. Not a social one. It is a spiritual power on the earth. And we are to operate in supernatural powers and abilities for what purpose? To penetrate the hearts of people. To bring them into the kingdom of God. See, in Acts chapter 2, at the beginning of the chapter, I know we talk about the Holy Ghost fell, 
There was cloven tongues like as a fire, and they spoke with other tongues, and they worshiped God supernaturally, and all that's wonderful. But all this and all these workings of the Spirit are for the purpose of penetrating the hearts of people that are solid with rebellion, that refuse to come to break loose from their traditions and receive Christ as Savior and Lord. It's going to take more than what we have in the natural to penetrate these hardened hearts. And that's why he is referring to the power and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now look, in John's Gospel, chapter 16, something that Jesus declared before he went back to the, to, to the throne, speaking of the Holy Spirit, nevertheless I tell you the truth, it is expedient, beneficial, or profitable for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come... He will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father, and you shall see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. It is the Holy Spirit, praise God, that takes the works of Jesus in redemption and produces salvation in the heart of people, in the hearts of people. Salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that draws us to Jesus. And that's why it's important that the power of the Holy Spirit operative in our lives, in the fruit of the Spirit, enables us to make Jesus attractive to other people. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. And we should make Jesus attractive to other people. That's how he draws them. Hey, how come you're so happy? Why have you got that smile on your face? How come you never complain about all this that's going on, whether it's in the world or the workplace? What is it about you that seems to be different than other people while others are complaining about this and that and the other thing? You're drawing them to Jesus. Secondly, he convinces them or convicts them of sin. Their separation from God. He penetrates their hearts to let them know on the inside, I need help. I need a Savior. I will never forget when I was a 16-year-old boy going to bed at night and did not know what this conviction was. But it came upon me in a profound way. I'm lying there in my bed and I said, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. I don't even know why I was saying that. But I had this deep conviction within my soul that I was. And I started saying some religious stuff to God, kind of making a deal with Him. That wasn't working. But what happened was, because of my desire to be saved, He sent labors of love across the path of my life. But why was I desiring to be saved? Because I felt in my heart, I was convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and did not know what it was. But I was being drawn to Jesus, being drawn to the cross. Other labors of love came and they began to tell me about how I could be saved. It took a while to get through this thick skull of mine. But finally it did and I gave my heart to Jesus. And thanks be unto God from that day on. Hallelujah. Next, it is the Spirit that regenerates as well. It's the Holy Spirit that penetrates our hearts, recreates our spirit and makes us a brand new creature or creation in Christ, a species that never before existed. And after recreating our spirits, it is the Spirit who empowers us. Too often people think, I've received all the Spirit that there is when I got saved. But the truth is, no, you have not. 
There is more. There is the baptism of the Spirit with power as on the day of Pentecost. But remember, it's not just so that you can speak with another language. It is to, it is to empower us through signs and wonders and miracles to be a witness for Jesus, to testify that we know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that we know the risen Savior who's got healing in His wings, power from on high, authority that He has given us to use, to do what? Put a stop to the work of demons and demonic powers and influences, and also to lay hands on the sick so they can recover. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Sometimes this is just overlooked and ignored, and it shouldn't be. And let's read these real quick. This is the work of the Spirit. Really, this is His dispensation. He's at work on the earth today. Now notice what Paul says. Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant without understanding or without knowledge. And why is it that that's usually the case? That most don't even understand the operation, the gifts, the manifestations of the Spirit in the day in which we live. Because this is somewhat jumped over and ignored. Notice what he says. You know that you were Gentiles carried away by these dumb idols. Don't you just love that language? What are you doing with that thing? You think that little things, that statue that you carry around with you that's going to do something for you? These dumb idols. Even as you were led. Wherefore I give to you understand, to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. They were such, so given over to supernatural spiritual operations they were doing things yielding to this wrong spirit and saying things about Jesus they should have never said for no one can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost now there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit there are differences of ministrations but the same Lord there are diversities of operations but it's the same God that worketh all in all but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every every man every man to profit with all for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing, should be healings plural, by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these work it, that one and the self same Spirit divided to how many men? Every man, how many? Severally as he will. We have nine gifts or manifestations of the Spirit mentioned here. And what is the purpose? What is the motivation behind the usage of these gifts? To bring someone to Christ. To equip us believers with supernatural powers from on high so that we can be effective in bringing others to Christ. Now notice there are three categories of the gifts. First of all, you've got the revelation gifts. These are the gifts that reveal something. And what are they? The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits. The word of wisdom means a word that God has given us that he knows something about the future, that he implants in our hearts and minds, tells us something about the future, and then we can use that word to let someone know that we know something about their life. And what's the purpose for that? To bring them to Christ. It could be a word of knowledge. And that deals with not the future, but the past and the present. Remember the woman at the well when Jesus said to her, go get your husband? And she said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You've had five husbands, that's the past. And the guy you're living with right now is not your husband, that's the present. And she says, oh, you're a prophet. 
Remember that? That's the word of knowledge. Notice how it captured her attention. Notice how the first thing she said was, is, not, is this not the Christ? He told me everything about my life. But notice the motivation. So that people can be aware of him, not us. So we can bring them to God's saving grace. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can penetrate their hearts. I should say he penetrates their hearts. He just uses us as vessels to do so. The second group, uh, we have the power gifts. These are the gifts that do something. You've got faith. The Amplifies says special faith. We've got faith. Gifts of healings. Working in miracles. They do something. You work a miracle. We co cooperate with God. But now notice, this is under the unction of the Spirit. This is not something that you have that rests upon you 24-7. This is a manifestation of the Spirit that will manifest at certain times as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. Now all these gifts can be used in any believer's life. Some will, let's just say, manifest more frequently than others. But we all have an opportunity to be used of the Lord in these gifts if our heart is right, if we're motivated by love, and we have a desire to reach out to the lost people of the world. Then you've got the vocal gifts or inspirational gifts. You've got prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. All supernatural utterance. There's nothing to do with intellectual knowledge, nothing to do with linguistic abilities, not learning different languages. We're talking about prophecy inspired by the Spirit. We're talking about tongues inspired by the Spirit. Interpretation of tongues, again, inspired by the Spirit. And what are they for? So we can reach unreached people and let them know in the Spirit certain things, penetrate their hearts, and bring them to Christ. So why would we want to equip ourselves with the supernatural power of God so we could yield to the Spirit, be used of God to do what? Something that we can't do in the natural. Can you say amen? You try to get to someone's heart whose heart is hardened? Not an easy thing to do, right? No. But the Spirit can penetrate the heart because the Spirit knows how to penetrate the heart. And as a result, praise God, that person can come to Christ. In some cases, they may never come to Christ. Now I'm going to read to you how an atheist and his family came to Christ. If you understand or know about the ministry of Norval Hayes, anybody here know about his ministry? Norval Hayes? Many of you do, maybe say many of you don't. But um, this is from his book called The Winds of God Bring Revival. And as I read it, it just, just settled in my heart and just exploded within me how important it is for us to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes we try to do something for years. It never happens. But man, the Spirit of God knows how to do one thing. And penetrate a sin-sick soul. Bring them out of their religious traditions. And get them on fire for God. Listen to this testimony. It's not too long. By the way, before I even begin reading. He's wild. Wild. I mean, on fire for God. Absolutely wild. For Jesus. We'll do anything. Okay. I was having dinner one night with a big shot. A New York type of guy. 
This man was an atheist. We had just walked out of a business meeting and sat down at a restaurant to have dinner. When I picked up the menu, I said, well, praise the Lord. Now, this is a businessman. He's a businessman. He loves the Lord. He also proclaims the word and all that. But he's a businessman, so he's having a business lunch. He said, Mr. Hayes, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. So I glanced up and thought, good Lord, this is going to be a long night. I was going to have to eat dinner with him and couldn't even talk about Jesus. I said, well, to each his own. Later I asked him, can I ask you a question? You've been telling me all these things and talking and talking. Let me talk a minute. Why don't you believe in God? Well, he said, people say God is a God of love. That's what I've heard all my life. God is a God of love. My son is 14 years old and a dope addict. My wife is an alcoholic. That's what I'm going home to tonight. A dope addict and an alcoholic. I'm telling you, Mr. Hayes, if God is a God of love, he forgot to stop at my house. I live in hell with a 14-year-old dope addict son and an alcoholic wife. So I gave him my testimony about how God had saved me. It ran off him like water off of a duck's back. Paid no attention to it whatsoever. He said, well, it may be good for you, but it's not good for me. So we paid our check and we left the restaurant. As we were walking up the sidewalk, heading toward the meeting room again, all of a sudden, I grabbed him by the arm, twisted him around, pointed my finger in his face and said, Mister, it doesn't make any difference what you believe. Jesus is real anyway. The Lord told me to tell you, if you don't introduce him to your wife and son, the whole bunch of you are going to go to hell. And he's going to hold you responsible. Yes, you. And I turned around and walked off. The Holy Ghost has nerve. Man, he is bold. Now, this guy was a well-known lecturer. He's not like me. Every word was in place. But after I turned around and walked off, he stood there dumbfounded. He looked like somebody hit him in the head with a stick. I walked on over to the meeting room. He came and sat down at his desk. Again, the Holy Ghost started to rise up in me. I began to weep. And this wasn't a gospel meeting. It was a business meeting. But the tears began to stream down my face and the love of God began to saturate me. The Lord said, walk over there and lay your hands on him and pray for his life right now. This is the Holy Ghost manifesting himself. Weeping, I stumbled across the floor of the meeting room to his desk and said, Mister, Jesus wants me to pray for your life. Bow your head and close your eyes. I put my hands on his head and said, Jesus, touch this man. He said, ah, oh. At that moment, he broke and began to weep. I took him through the sinner's prayer and the Lord saved him. He said, oh, God, I feel so good. What's in your hands? When you laid your hands on me, the power went through me, shot right through me. It felt like electricity. It just broke me. I said, that's the Holy Ghost coming on you. He went home that night, told his alcoholic wife, honey, the Lord wants to save you. She said, are you drunk too? No, I got saved. Jesus saved me. I met this strange man <laughs> who has some kind of power flowing through his hands. When he put his hands on me, the power shot through me. I broke and wept. I gave my life to Jesus. Can you believe that? She said, no, I can't believe it. But if God can save you an atheist for years, he can save anybody. I think I'll get saved myself. His wife got saved. His son got saved, delivered from dope, and is an evangelist now. 
About 30 members of their family also got saved. Well, you might say, well, Brother, Brother Norval, you have a good ministry. No. I gave that man my testimony. I told him everything I knew about God. It didn't even faze him. At all. But, all of a sudden, when the gift of special faith came on me, it made all the difference in the world. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, not over Hayes ministry. I was only a vessel. The Holy Spirit knows how to melt even an atheist's heart just like butter. Do we need the Holy Spirit? And this is why every believer needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, with the evidence of other tongues, which is only the beginning, so we can stir up the gift of God and also position ourselves to experience these nine manifestations of the Spirit that will help us, help God, penetrate the hearts and the lives of people that are out there in the world that are in need. Now, that took boldness without a doubt. But I guarantee you, that man's bold. Absolutely bold. Very bold. Now, I want you to look at Second Chronicles chapter 7. Because, you see, that took an unction of the Spirit. For it to happen. He could not have said, well now since I did that with this fellow, I'm going to go over here and do it with this fellow. Doesn't work that way. If there's no unction to do it of the Spirit, you're acting in the flesh and you're doing it on your own. Now we can witness on our own. We can tell people about Jesus, give our testimony, and so on. And that's fine, nothing wrong with that. But when the Spirit of God moves like this and falls like this and manifests Himself that way, we can respond to it and get the same kind of results. But you can't do it just because you did it to someone else. Just one person. You can't do it to somebody else. That's how the Spirit works. Okay, in 2 Chronicles, notice chapter 7 and verse 14. This is called a revival scripture. If we want revival individually, if we want revival as a church, if we want revival in a nation, here we have the pattern to follow. If my people, not the people of the world, but if my people, are we the people of God? You say, well, that's just for Israel. Well, you know what? It's for everyone. We're the people of God. Principles are always the same. They're not going to change. If my people which are, well, let's read it first, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I would hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. All right. Notice when it comes to God's blessings being upon a people or upon a nation, it is not God's fault. It's not. When the church grows dead, it is not God's fault. When an individual loses the fire, it is not God's fault. When two people who are married are not experiencing the fullness of what God has for them, it is not God's fault. Can we believe that? If my people which are called by my name. If they'll do something, then he'll do something. 
There's four things here we need to understand that really we can call them enemies to revival. If they would humble themselves means pride is an enemy. You know what pride says? It's not my fault. Well, I guess, guess God's just not moving that way anymore. Oh, really? It's not my fault? That's pride. And that's why he said that my people would humble themselves. Pride says what? Can't be me. I've tried everything. Can't be me. If they'd humble themselves and do what? Secondly, pray. So prayerlessness is an enemy to revival. Because you know what prayerlessness says? I can do it on my own. It's not my fault. I've got my own resources. I'm using them. I'm trying them. I can do it on my own. Right? So I leave God out of the equation. Or I've stopped my active prayer life. Number three. What was the third thing to do? Seek my face. That's called misplaced priorities. Priorities. Humble ourselves and pray. Pride. Prayerlessness. Priorities. Misplaced priority means this. There's not enough time. I've got so many things that I'm doing in my life, I don't have enough time to do this or to do that. Whether it's to pray or to seek the face of God. See, notice he is saying the responsibility falls upon the individual. His people to humble themselves, pray, seek his face. Deal with pride, prayerlessness, and misplaced priorities. How do we understand that? How do we determine that? Well, look at our lives. What has our time and attention? What are we completely given over to? If there's no time for God, if there's no time for prayer, if there's no time for Bible study, if there's no time to witness, if there's no time to seek, because we're too busy with everything else, is that God's fault? No. It's a misplaced priority. First should be God, right? And we can determine in our lives whether or not He has for a place by the things that we do. Do we push Him in the corner? Or do we honor Him first? And then what's the last thing? Turn from their wicked ways. That's called presumption. Being presumptuous. That's presuming upon, and you know this is a pet peeve of mine, the grace of God. Presuming upon the grace of God. Grace got it all covered, doesn't matter what I do. Grace has it all covered, doesn't matter how I live. Grace has it all covered, doesn't matter whether or not I sin. I don't have to repent anymore, we're told today. Well, that's not what grace teaches us. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. To live holy, righteous, sober lives, godly lives in this present age that we're living in. So notice the four things that he says his people have to do in order to experience and enjoy the fullness of the blessings that he has. Humble yourself, pray, seek my face, and turn from things that displease me. In other words, rid ourselves of those things that are not considered holy or holiness. Embrace 
holiness in our lives. Set aside those things that can prevent God from moving the way He wants to move. And the number one thing is probably in Christians' lives, maybe not necessarily number one, but close to it, complacency. Complacency. Being spiritually slothful or lazy when it comes to the things of God. Have you ever struggled with that once in a while in your life? Maybe your prayer life slacked off or your study, Bible study time lacked off or slacked off or whatever. That can happen to any of us. We get so caught up in so many other things. And you've heard this expression before. We put the work of the Lord above the Lord of the work. And that can easily happen to any of us. Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm preaching along this line because I've got a fire in my bones. Look at 1 Peter 4 verse 17. <clears throat> Judgment will take place, first of all, where? In the house of God. For the time has come that judgment must begin where? At the house of God. And if it begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Beloved, I don't know about you, but I've got a hunger and a thirst in my spirit and my soul to have a greater manifestation of the glorious power of Almighty God that saves the lost, that heals the sick, that sets the captives free, that restores marital relationship, that brings people, young people, out of the realms of darkness into the light of the kingdom of God. What about you? I have a greater desire in my heart, in my life, in my mind, to see to it that we have a greater display of the awesome power of God. He said if we would do those four things, He would hear from heaven, He would forgive our sin, and He would heal our land. Isn't that what He said He would do? Now remember when Jonah was sent to Nineveh? What was the message He gave to Nineveh? Look guys, I don't want to be here, but God made me get here, swallowed me up with a fish for me to get here and spewed me out for me to get here and all that. And I'm here to tell you, you've got a certain amount of time, 40 days, and if not, you don't repent, you're done. And the king was a wise man. He humbled himself, immediately gathered all the people to fast and pray to see if God would turn his hand of judgment away from them, and what did God do? God did exactly what He said He would do, and there was a great revival among the people. God's not interested in destroying human lives. He's interested in blessing people and helping people. Get them saved, get them healed, get them delivered, get them restored, get them healthy, get them, give them everything He possibly can because that's His nature. That's what He's all about. So, if we want this, it has to be something that we do. Do you know a revival? People say we're having a revival service. No, we can't have man-ordained revival services. Because by definition, a revival is a move of God, not man. We can have wonderful meetings. We can have extended meetings. We can say we're going to meet all week long next week, but it's not a revival. A revival is when the Spirit of God moves in and begins to take over. And there are supernatural signs, wonders, and manifestations of the Spirit of Almighty God, like in Azusa, the Azusa Street Revival. Amen. The Brownsville Revival, when the Spirit of God just blew in, the winds of the Spirit blew in, and all this took place. Remember, 
That happened as a result of humbling ourselves, prayer, singing his face, and turning away from things that displeased God. And he heard from heaven, he forgave the sin, and he brought healing power to the land. Whether that land is an individual, a family, a nation, a church, a nation, he'll do it. Now, requirements for revival, we'll close with these real quick. Are you hungry? Spiritual hunger. Oh, hallelujah. Look at Psalm 63, beginning at verse 1. These words of David. Oh, God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. In a dry, in a thirsty land where no water is. For what are you thirsting? For what are you hungering, David? To see thy power and thy glory. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? Glory be to God. I want to, I want to go to church. I don't want to see what my neighbor's wearing. I don't want to see what someone else is doing. I want to go to church. I want to see your power. I want to see your glory. I want to see the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. I want to see you stretching forth your handy heel. I want to see signs and wonders and demonstrations of your might, your power, and your glory. I want to see the lost saved. I want to see the sick healed and go on, so on and so forth. As I have seen you in the sanctuary, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Hallelujah. I don't want to go to church and have popcorn and watch a video. I want to come to church and see God move. I want to see His power present. I want to see Him bow the heavens to the earth and show Himself strong. Can you say amen? Is that the longing of your heart? If we all have that, and it could start right here with a small group right here. And they, I believe it could spread into our Sunday morning congregation. When we do those four things, we humble ourselves, we pray, we seek His face, we turn from things that displease Him and say, Go ahead, Lord, do it. We can't create a revival. We can only position ourselves to have a revival. And when we position ourselves, if God sees fit by His Spirit, this is part of His sovereign will, and He begins to move in that way, then look out, praise God. We're in for mighty waves of glory. Number two, it takes persistent prayer. It takes, look at James chapter 5, verse 16. This is the amplified version of that verse. Confess to one another, therefore, your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. Pray also for one another that you may be healed and restored to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Remember, prayerlessness was one of the problems. You can't have a revival without prayer. You can pray and not have a revival, but you can't have a revival without prayer. And so he's calling upon us to continue in a greater way, not to be content with where we're at, not to be content with what we have. It's easy to become complacent. We should repent for complacency if we're satisfied with where we're at. Because you know what? When we get satisfied with where we're at, we're where the devil wants us at. You realize that? 
But when we say, uh-uh, I am not satisfied, I want more, I expect more, I believe for more, there's a greater, greater anointing, there's greater glory, there's greater power, praise God. I want to rise up with greater faith. I want to be uh, in a position where I can experience these gifts of the Spirit, special faith, gifts of healing, working in miracles. I want God to use me as a vessel of honor so that by the Holy Ghost I can have that same kind of boldness to reach out to other people. Number three, commitment. It takes commitment. We are going to commit to it. It means to hold fast to it. Remember Hebrews chapter uh, 6 and verse 12 that says, Be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. It's going to take a commitment to see the thing all the way through, to get birth to it, praise God. And I believe we can do that. Once again, it's still up to Him. But praise God, we can position ourselves so that He can look upon our hearts and lives and just say, yep, that's where I'm going to fall. That's where I'm going to manifest myself. And then, number four, yieldingness to the Holy Ghost. In these verses of Scripture, look at Romans 6.14. We need to yield to do it God's way, not our way. God's way. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We want His direction in these things. And then the next one. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak of himself, but he, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. We need to be, this is his dispensation. We want to be consciously aware of the fact that he is moving, and he wants us to give place to his working. See, what happens is when we step out to do it on our own, then we're acting in our own strength or ability. But when we have the go ahead, from the Spirit of God, we're, we're igniting His ability and His power. Remember when the Israelites were supposed to go into the promised land? They had the direction, the directive given to them by the Lord. Go in, take the land, and I'll go before you. I'll send my angels. That would have been the power of God in operation. Well, they refused to do it because of doubt and unbelief. And then after they were judged and told that they were going to die, they went and did it on their own. In their own ability, and they died trying to do it in their own ability. You see how important it is to know the mind of God, to be dependent upon the things of God, and let God direct us, order our steps, and say, this is the way, walk ye in it, this is what I want you to do. I'll tell you what, once you're engaged in the power of God, it's, there's nothing like it. I remember when I was at school at Ramah, and I was sitting down, there's this girl was sitting next to me here, a guy was sitting next to me there, there are people in front of me and all around me, and I'm just sitting there, and this one person was asked, to come up and give her testimony. It was a fabulous testimony, wonderful testimony of what God did in this person's life. And while she was giving the testimony, I saw the girl sitting next to me starting to shake. And I'm kind of looking. And I mean, she's just shaking and shaking. Now, either this person's having a seizure or a visitation from on high. Suddenly, she stood up, walked up to the front, said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, you have to understand this. When you're at Rainbow, when you're at school and you're in that classroom setting like that, they have people that are outside, monitors and everything. They want to make sure things don't get out of hand. It's understandable, right? So, they recognized the Spirit of the Lord was upon her. And... As she started to speak, people were drawn to go up to her. 
One at a time, they started walking up and hitting the ground. Another one walked up, hit the ground. Someone must have said what was going on in the room because one of the martyrs came running in and said, I'm going to put a stop to this right now because this is, not, this is not right. You shouldn't be doing this. He goes up to the front to go stop her and he goes right to the ground. Fell flat on the ground. The power of God was in such manifestation, on such display. This went on for about 15 to 20 minutes. You could not get near the girl without falling over on the ground. It was a move of the Spirit of Almighty God that was displayed in an awesome way. They even talked about it the next day when they said, you know what, we don't let this thing go on unless it's genuine. And they came in and told everybody this was genuine. These workers went in there, try to stop it, try to stop God. <laughs> Who's a match for God? Amen, no one, right? I don't know about you, but I'm longing for more days of heaven on earth. What about you? Are you longing for more days of heaven on earth? Hallelujah. You see, there's two camps that God wants to bring together. There is the Word of Faith camp, the Charismatic Pentecostal Movement camp, and He wants to take these two ministries and put them together, which I believe will be the greatest outpouring of the Spirit of God in revival that this world has ever seen. When these two come together, are you game? Let's all stand together before the Lord. Hallelujah.